Africa rise and shine Africa zoza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa to send humanitarian assistance to South Sudan and U.S. President to visit cities devastated by mass shootings despite objections. In economics news, Namibia wants more public-private partnership agreements and in sports news, South Africa clashed with Zimbabwe in Kosafa Women's Championship. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Police in the South African city of Johannesburg have recovered arms and counterfeit goods in a massive raid targeting shops owned by foreigners and arms cash that included AK-47 and other assault rifles were found. The police's efforts to raid the CBD were thwarted last week when they were pelted with stones and other objects by a crowd of mainly foreign nationals. Police Minister Becky Kele says scores of undocumented foreign nationals were also arrested and dozens of items of counterfeit clothing and footwear were seized. We recovered guns. They are taken for ballistic because the owner claims to be a legit security company. But we have invited Syria who are competent on those things to check them and uh, although they are already some laws that are broken, they are not keeping them in the safe, they are clearly illegal firearms and all that, uh, and then we'll be processing them in terms of the law of the Republic of South Africa. Legal proceedings have been filed in Sudan to open investigations into 11 people who went missing during the deadly June repression of a protest. According to doctors close to the protest movement, at least 127 people were killed on the 3rd of June in a crackdown on a sit-in in the Sudanese capital. Loye Shauki Yakob, who was speaking at a press conference, organized by the Sudanese Professionals Association, says many more people could be missing as a result of the bloody crackdown outside Khartoum's army headquarters. Sudan's ruling general signed a deal with protest leaders on Sunday, providing the broad outlines of a three-year transition to civilian rule. Three Congolese doctors have been detained over the murder of a World Health Organization doctor who was fighting an Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Cameroonian doctor Richard Valerie Musoko 
was shot dead in an attack on a hospital in the eastern city of Butembu in April. Military prosecutor for Butembu in North Kivu province, Lieutenant Colonel Jean-Baptiste Kumbo Ngoma, says the arrested doctors will be prosecuted for terrorism and criminal conspiracy. They are accused of holding meetings on the 14th of April to plot the assassination of Muzuku. Muzuku had been deployed as part of a medical team to help rein in the Ebola outbreak, which started last August in North Kivu. Three inmates have died in a riot in a prison in the northern city of Nampola, Mozambique. Independent TV station STV reports that clashes at the jail began after a guard accidentally dropped a tear gas grenade during routine rounds. The situation was only brought under control after the intervention of additional police units and the fire brigade. In addition to the three fatalities, four other prisoners were seriously injured and are currently undergoing treatment at the Central Hospital of Nampula. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump has visited emergency workers and survivors of a mass shooting in El Paso in uh, Texas, one of two cities shaken by gun attacks that took 31 lives. Hispanic people were targeted in an apparent hate crime when a gunman in El Paso shot dead 22 people on Saturday. Trump came to Texas from Dayton, Ohio, where he had visited survivors of a shooting in which nine people died. The BBC's John Sopel reports. President Trump and First Lady Melania arrived in El Paso in the blazing heat of summer in this Texas border town. And it's fair to say civic leaders weren't hanging out the flags for them. Last weekend, a white nationalist killed 22 people, targeting Hispanics deliberately. At the Walmart where the shooting took place, a makeshift shrine has taken shape. Local people just want the healing to start. Before leaving the White House, the president denied that his fiery rhetoric on immigration had contributed to the problem. And that's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. President Donald Trump has told reporters that he believes his rhetoric brings people together as he departed for the first of two cities devastated by mass shootings this past weekend. He'll visit Dayton, Ohio first, where a gunman killed nine people and injured more than two dozen in a rampage early on Sunday morning, and then travel on to El Paso, Texas, where 22 people were killed by a gunman who also posted a hate-filled manifesto against the immigrants online. Protesters are expected in both locations locations when the president visits, some of the audio quality in this piece is poor due to the surrounding interference from the presidential helicopter, shown Bryce Peace reports. The president departing the White House earlier Wednesday despite calls from both cities for him to stay away due to his divisive anti-immigrant rhetoric, something the president disagreed with before pivoting to China. No, I don't think my rhetoric has at all. I think my rhetoric is a very, uh, it brings people together. Our country is doing incredibly well. Uh, China is not doing well if you look at the trade situation. 
President Trump said he was open to looking at greater background checks to stem the tide of guns flowing into the hands of disturbed people, but tempered expectations that he would lead a charge to ban the types of assault weapons, including an AK-47, used in the attacks this past weekend. There is no political appetite for that at this moment. If you look at, uh, you could speak, you could do your own polling, and there's no political appetite from it from the standpoint of legislature, but I will uh, certainly bring that up. I'll bring that up as one of the points. There's a great appetite, and I mean a very strong appetite, for background checks, and I think we can bring up background checks like we've never had before. I think both Republican and Democrat are getting close to a bill on to doing something on background checks. He also expressed concern at the rise of white supremacy and hate in the country, again took no personal responsibility for fomenting it, and accused his detractors of criticism for political gain. I am concerned about the rise of any group of hate. I don't like it. Any group of hate, I am, whether it's white supremacy, whether it's any other kind of supremacy, whether it's Antifa, whether it's any group of hate, I am very concerned about it, and I'll do something about it. In an overnight exchange on Twitter, the president assailed Democratic presidential candidate and former El Paso congressman Beto O'Rourke. Trump pointed to O'Rourke's low poll numbers in the race to pick a Democratic presidential nominee, saying he should respect the victims and law enforcement and be quiet. The congressman responded that 22 people in his hometown are dead after an act of terror inspired by the president's racism. Quote, El Paso will not be quiet, and neither will I. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. South Africa will this week donate humanitarian assistance worth over $66 million to South Sudan, where at least 7 million people are faced with starvation. Deputy Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Candice Mashikotlamini, arrived in South Sudan's capital, Juba, on Wednesday. She will hand over the donation today. Sarah Kimani reports. This is the first consignment of food items that the South African government has donated to South Sudan through the Africa Renaissance Fund. Candith Mashagolamini is a Deputy Minister for International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa. The drought that was here and also the conflict that the country is still dealing with it, coming through it. But as such, we felt that as South African, we need to support our fellow African when they've got difficulties. The United Nations estimates that at least 2 million people are near starvation. Dan Dao is the South Sudan's Deputy Foreign Affairs Minister. After more than six years of civil strife and several failed rain seasons here in South Sudan, millions of people are faced with starvation. And therefore, humanitarian assistance like the one donated by South Africa this week will go a long way in alleviating suffering in this country. And uh, we have received, as she said, 100 million rand. Uh, which is targeting about 130,000 households. You know, the vulnerable people and the IDPs in the camp. South Africa is a guarantor of the South Sudan Peace Agreement and has remained engaged on the country's ongoing peace process. The Deputy Minister is also expected to meet other senior government officials to discuss a range of issues of mutual interest between the two nations.
Tribal authorities from South Africa and Botswana have called for upgrades of the community crossing point in Tsidilamulomo in the northwest province. This was after the Deputy Minister of Home Affairs in Jabulo Nzunza's visit to the community, accompanied by Botswana's government representatives. The crossing point allows communities to cross the border close to home instead of having to travel about two hours to a main port of entry, which is at Ramatabama. Mpolibidi reports. The area between Tsidilamulomo village and Botswana is regarded as an international crossing point with a difference. Communities in the area can travel between South Africa and Botswana on foot for visitations, study or work-related matters. This can be done without the required papers. The crossing point was officially opened in 2015 and is the nearest one to Botswana. But tribal authorities believe it needs to be upgraded. Kopanuli Koko is a local traditional leader. This border crossing needs to develop from the position where it is currently to the next position. So in terms of competing with other you know, similar border, uh, border posts, in terms of uh, increasing the operational time, in terms of upgrading the infrastructure. Likoko's counterpart from Botswana, Kosi Israel Lekotwani, could not agree more. However, Home Affairs Deputy Minister Njabulon Zuza says the crossing point is only for the community as it does not meet the specifications of a port of entry. This is specifically for communities. No business activities are expected to happen here. Remember, there's an issue of customs that is meant to clear all business and products that are supposed to move within countries, and we do not have this service here. This is purely for communities to move amongst each other. Nzuza says strict security measures will be enforced to ensure that illegal immigrants do not use it to cross into the two countries. Over 600 illegal immigrants have been arrested in Johannesburg. About 1,500 law enforcement and home affairs officials have conducted raids in the CBD and seized hundreds of millions of rands worth of counterfeit goods and equipment to manufacture counterfeit merchandise. They also seized seven assault rifles and three pistols. The raid follows last week's riots in the city centre, where police were forced to retreat after hawkers attacked police with bricks, forcing them to retreat. South African Police Minister Begikele visited the CBD along with the Gauteng Province Premier David Makura. Horisani Sitole reports. Police Minister Begikele has defended police decision to retreat when they were being plated with stones by foreign nationals in the Johannesburg CBD last week. He says it was not an act of cowardice but a necessary strategy. Kele has visited the CBD where police raided fake goods. The minister insists that they will win the battle against crime. We recovered stunts. They are taken for ballistic because the owner claims to be a legit security company. But we have invited Syria, who are competent on those things, to check them. Kele was accompanied by Gauteng Provincial Police Commissioner Elias Mawila and Premier David Makura. Mawila estimates that over 600 undocumented immigrants have been arrested during the raid. He says the CBD has been under surveillance since last week's riots. We have placed all this area under surveillance. Ever since the disruption, it was under surveillance. We have recovered 46 vehicles packed 
with counterfeit goods. But in these buildings, eh, we have recovered a lot of merchandise. The undocumented people, all of them, we have taken them to Johannesburg Central Police Station, whereby Home Affairs is currently busy verifying their status. And we also have our local criminal record center guys there who also check their criminal backgrounds and whether they are not linked to other criminalities. Over 600 thus far are already taken in there. Gauteng Premier David Makura says Wednesday's seizures approved that last week's attack on the police was an attempt to protect counterfeit goods. Last week the police got information through crime intelligence that 30 minibus kumbis delivered counterfeit goods in a particular building and the police organized to go and seize those goods. As the police were being attacked, the counterfeit goods were being moved from the building. So what was happening last week was to protect, was an attempt to simply protect the counterfeit goods which were delivered in the building there. Officials in the city of Jobek says the raid is a first of many. Safety MMC Michael Sun. I can assure you it's going to be over millions. One cash sales book in one of the storerooms where there were counterfeit goods, there were sales amounting to tens of thousands just in one day. So you can imagine the value of the goods that's been taken away and all these illegal goods will be seized and accounted for. And I'm sure our National Prosecuting Authority will follow up on these leads when they prosecute. It's not going to be a once-off. We'll continue for as long as we need to and as many times as we need to. It's really unacceptable that we have this kind of volume and the extent and the magnitude of manufacturing of counter goods in the center of Joburg. This is not going to be the last one. We'll continue with the operation. That report by Horisani Sitole in Johannesburg. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Hundreds of people have marched in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé, asking the government to make known the whereabouts of their family members who were taken out of prison to unknown destinations after last week's prison riot. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. 32-year-old Julius Berka was among the marchers, demanding the government reveal where the missing prisoners have been taken. We simply want the government to let us know where they are now. We do not have any bad intentions, and it is our right to know where they are. The prisoners were moved after a riot in the Kondinge Central Prison on July 22. Detained separatists from Cameroon's English-speaking regions and jailed opposition members took possession of the prison yard to denounce overcrowding, deplorable conditions, and lengthy trial delays. The prison, built for 750 inmates, was holding more than 6,000. The government says that after the riot, about 250 prisoners were moved. Separatists on social media had asked the government to, within five days, as from last Wednesday, tell them where the detainees were or face the consequences. On Monday, they said they had been informed that 88 of the English-speaking inmates 
were in a cell in Yaoundé. They said they did not know where the others were. Government spokesperson René Emmanuel Sadi says the inmates were taken out of the Koningi prison because of the role they played in the riot in which part of the facility was torched and many inmates injured. The inmates identified as being the leaders of this insurgency, 177 people on the day of the event and 67 thereafter for a total of 244 insurgents have been handed over to the police and gendarmerie services for questioning. They have all been heard now and the various investigations almost completed. Sadi said some of the inmates were in more secured detention facilities in Yaoundé while others were moved elsewhere to make the prison less congested. In the face of these serious incidents perpetrated in an obviously sensitive prison environment and with regard to the recurring problem of prison overcrowding in Cameroon, the President of the Republic, Jocelyn Paul Bia, has ordered the government to take all appropriate measures to speed up ongoing judicial proceedings, to rigorously monitor the strengthening of disciplinary measures in all penitentiary institutions in the country, to strengthen and modernize the means of controlling and monitoring the prisoners, to decongest the various prisons with proven over, overcrowding, to strongly ban the entry and use of all tools and ingredients prohibited in prisons by the regulations in force. Dennis Kemlemo, spokesperson for the main opposition political party, the Social Democratic Front, says by keeping the prisoners beyond the reach of family members and friends, the government is aggravating the crisis in the English-speaking regions. This is a terrible situation. You arrest people in the Northwest and Southwest region. You tax them terrorists, imprison them here in Yaoundé. When Southwest and Northwest, where the so-called crime was committed, have tribunals, how can you explain that most of them who were brought here are under detention? They have not been tried and found guilty, but they are already serving prison sentences. Armed groups in the two regions have fought to separate them from majority French-speaking Cameroon since 2017. Rights group Amnesty International has called on authorities to improve the grim prison conditions, release anyone detained only for peaceful protest, and ensure that every person held past the legal period of pre-trial detention goes before a judge immediately or is released. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. It's 7.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. As part of efforts to improve gender representation amongst investors as well as to empower, educate and support women who are keen to achieve financial freedom through investing on the stock market, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange is hosting an investment conference this coming Saturday. Dubbed hashtag JSC, she, she invests the 
This annual conference is hosted in partnership with Easy Equities, a local low-cost investment brokerage platform, and True Love magazine. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Zanele Morrison, Director of Marketing and Corporate Affairs at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Zanele, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you so much and good morning to your listeners. Now, what necessitated Saturday's event and what do you hope to achieve in the end? I think what necessitated um, the event on Saturday is when we look at the statistics and we look at how much, uh, first of all, everyone in this country is not saving enough. And women especially, securing their future by investing in long-term um, you know, vehicles that can enable their financial freedom, not in the short term, but in the long term, and as well for them to be able to leave something that's a legacy for their children and that can go on to support and enable you know, their children to whether they want to invest in further or buy assets or even pay for their education. Investing in the stock exchange is really a great way to save for the long term. Now, how relevant do you think the theme, let's invest in each other, is? Well, the relevance of the let's invest in each other is because we have women talking to women, investing not just um, you know, it's not about financial investing, but it's about investing in knowledge. Knowledge comes first. The awareness, um, sharing of our own experiences, how we've done it. Um, the relevance really comes into we listen to other women, and women tell good stories. So the investment uh, vehicle of She Invests enables those conversations to happen and for us to get enlightened, you know, through listening to each other and hearing each other's stories. Now, earlier you touched on, uh, you know, women investing and, uh, you know, long term and uh, providing for their children and, and for themselves at a the later stage. Are you seeing enough women progress financially through um, savvy investments and economic prosperity? Well, you know, no, we're not. But that is a statement for everybody. We're not seeing enough investment in people who are marginalized in the country, in entrepreneurs. The vehicles are there, or, or the allocation or the policies are there, but the allocation directly to entrepreneurs, and I can, I can probably take a guess and say especially towards women businesses, it's nowhere near where it should be. Therefore, we have moved into an era where we need to stop the talk shops. We need to, you know, stop the collaborating to engage, but we actually need to start seeing real evidence of investing so that people can uplift themselves. So what challenges do women normally face um, when starting their journey to um, financial freedom? You know, uh, women are said to be big spenders, um, you know, and generally most of the time when they spend, they're spending internally at home. You're so right. You're so right. Women are, 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 I don't know about the word big spenders, but we definitely are not spending in things that are, that have long-term value. So we are spending on clothing, on food. Um, we're spending on the basics that need to keep a household going. Um, and, 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 and we are seeing that men are tending to spend more in the bigger things, in the properties, in, in, in cars, in investing, and what have you. So we do need to have a bit of a check on ourselves in terms of how we invest our money. We need to have conversations at home around how do we split money, who puts money where. But even though we're investing in women conversations around investing, we know that they will go home, and this is something they want to teach their children who are starting jobs. This is something they can have a conversation with their husbands. Um, you know, empowering the woman means you are empowering the home ultimately. Now, give us a glimpse of uh, some of the women who will be attending the event. 
So the women that will be attending the event, well, what's wonderful is that we're going to have a, a couple of roundtables where women are actually able to engage and talk about investing habits. We'll have key speakers speaking on the day. We'll also have a number of stands um, from Easy Equities, our investment partners, who actually start the conversation around if you did want to invest, how would you go about doing it? Where would you find a good broker? Um, you know, how much money do you need? So they'll actually get tangible advice um, on how to go about starting their investment journey and also looking at where they're currently putting their money, whether it's insurance, um, policies, um, you know, stock sales, all of that. It's really going to be a place where women are going to feel so comfortable and are going to find a place to talk about where their start is or where their next step is. Now, going forward, it might be too late for uh, some women to get involved or be a part of the event. Um, Going forward, uh, as this is an annual event, if I'm not mistaken, how do women become a a part of the event uh, uh, going forward if they want to know more and if they want to be part of those different roundtables? Um, yes, it is unfortunate that we are sold out for this year, but um, we will be hashtagging on Twitter, we will be on, on LinkedIn, uh, we will be running a site on our own um, uh, website where we're going to be talking about the investment uh, opportunities that have come out of the conference itself. So, so I think that we are definitely open to, to getting in, uh, questions. Uh, if people want to link up, if they want to have those conversations, you know, to reach out through the, the usual mediums, just hashtag SheInvest. You'll get a lot of information around how to contact us and how to contact some of the partners that will be supporting us on the day. I think, I think the Internet is probably going to be the easiest way to hook up, ask your questions. We will absolutely follow up on every single person um, who messages us on Twitter or on LinkedIn and provide information for, for, for future events, but also what they can do right now. Zanele, thank you so much for joining us and all the best for your event. Thank you so much, and we'll hopefully see you in 2020. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm very keen to, to just sit down and, and pick the minds or brains of uh, women who are doing it and are doing it uh, successfully. It, and it needs to be an ongoing conversation. Of so course. we definitely love to be able to you know, create continuous conversation. It's not a woman's month conversation. It's a monthly conversation. Definitely. Thank you so much, Zanele. Thank you so much. That's Zanelle Morrison, Director of Marketing and Corporate Affairs at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange in South Africa, joining us on the line. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines police in the South African city of Johannesburg have recovered arms and counterfeit goods in a massive raid targeting shops owned by foreigners. Legal proceedings have been filed in Sudan to open investigations into 11 people who went missing during the deadly June repression of a protest. And three Congolese doctors have been detained over the murder of a World Health Organization doctor who was fighting an Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Those are the stories making headlines.
Let's go back in time to today in 1999. Former South African Minister of Labor Tito Mboweni begins work as the governor of the South African Reserve Bank. He replaced Dr. Chris Stalls Mboweni to become the first black person to head this highly reputed institution. Today in History, 1999. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Aburengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The United States government has called on all African countries to cooperate and partner in fighting illicit drug trafficking and terrorism on the continent. The U.S. suggests the formation of regional partnerships to track down any suspected illicit drug activity on the continent. Hilda Akekela reports. Speaking at the opening of the third Africa Multilateral Drug Enforcement Coordination AMDE conference in Livingston, U.S. Ambassador to Zambia Daniel Fort said the United States government will continue supporting programs that will enhance the operations of agencies fighting terrorism and drug trafficking on the continent. He stressed the need for strong linkages between countries that will help provide a platform for nations to share best practices on how to fight terrorism and drug trafficking. The biggest thing we're looking to get out of it is the network and the friendship and the partnership, which is why we send people to our international law enforcement academies. Everything you're going to learn and hear about is important, but the most important thing, given the fact that these are cross-border issues, are the network and the colleagues across the continent to lay the foundation for future work. Officiating at the event, Zambia's Defense Minister, Davis Mwila, said drug trafficking activities on the African continent are on the rise, hence the need for countries to be on high alert. Mr. Chama stated that regional bodies such as AMDEC will help in curbing the vice 
that is robbing the continent's most needed resources for its development. He explained that drug enforcement agencies in various African countries also need to be updated with current global trends if they are to remain relevant. Mr. Chama said this is because drug traffickers and terrorists now use sophisticated means of operations such as the internet to do their activities. He said these trends need to be fully embraced and integrated by law enforcement agencies if the battle against drug trafficking is to be won on the continent and the world at large. To prevent the adverse effects of illicit drugs and deaths, the international community ought to step up its responses. International action is essential as the drug pushers and barons operate across the international boundaries as a result. While the individual countries are important, they are ineffective on their own. Zambia remains ready to do her part in combating drug trafficking and related crimes. To that end, we are ready to share information with other countries and to strengthen bilateral, regional and international cooperation. And AMDEC chairperson Ibrahim Gadwa expressed optimism that the fight against drug trafficking will be put under control with close collaboration among African countries. Brigadier General Kadua said this is evident through the growth of AMDEC membership that has now increased from 9 in 2017 to the current 50 member states subscribing to the goals of fighting illicit activities on the continent. He said steady success has been achieved with some popular drug lords in Kenya, South Africa and other countries were arrested and prosecuted. Vicky Goswami, who lived in Lusaka and the Akasha crime family from Kenya, featured prominently over three decades. Our heartfelt gratitude to the collaborative efforts of the United States Drug Enforcement Administration and the Kenyan Anti-Narcotics Police, spearheaded by my brother Commissioner Massa, for bringing down these untouchable mobsters, Ibrahim Akasha and Vicky Goswami, in an elaborate sting operation. Their extradition to the United States was the end of a massive crime empire that, had, that was international in reach. This epic operation epitomizes the new possibilities for MDEC as we move into the future. AMDEC is an organization that aims at bringing nations together for the purpose of fighting drug trafficking on the continent. The two-day Livingston Conference has brought together 50 delegates from across Africa. It is organized by the Drug Enforcement Commission of Zambia with support from the United States Drug Enforcement Administration Africa region. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekelo from Livingston in Zambia. 
The South African government needs to do more to push for mothers to get at least six months maternity leave. This has emerged during a roundtable discussion on supporting breastfeeding in the workplace organized by the UN agency UNICEF in Johannesburg. The country is lagging behind the World Health Organization's target of 50% of children being exclusively breastfed for the first six months of life by 2025. Currently, 37% are exclusively breastfed in the first six months. Thursday was the last day of World Breastfeeding Day. Tabil Mbele reports. According to the South African Demographic and Health Survey, there's been a significant increase in exclusive breastfeeding rates from 8% in 2003 to 32% in 2016. Studies have shown that breastfeeding has numerous benefits, including complete nutrition in the first six months, promoting child growth, and the prevention of infections and illnesses such as diarrhea and pneumonia. It's estimated that over 800,000 deaths are prevented this way. It also reduces the chances of breast and ovarian cancer among breastfeeding mums. However, most moms stop breastfeeding when they return to work. According to a study conducted by Lynette Daniels from the University of Stellenbosch's Global Health and Child Nutrition Department, the workplace does not promote breastfeeding. The support for breastfeeding in the workplace was very much limited and inadequate. Um, also that the legislated breastfeeding break time um, was um, poorly implemented and uh, mostly absent. The employees, they viewed the workplaces as, as unsupportive towards breastfeeding. The other issue that came up was the negative and unsupportive um, attitudes of um, co-workers as well as um, supervisors. Tracy Maher from Baby Yam Yam has blamed government for not doing enough to promote breastfeeding in the workplace. She is also concerned about the lack of support for mothers who choose not to breastfeed. But what about the, the mother's right to choose? Her right for her body integrity. Um, and if she is educated correctly as to the use of formula that is available, why can she not do that? With tying in with that, the whole idea of shaming the, the mother's choice, if she's not chosen to formula feed, for whatever reason, the government, they are so on that bandwagon, why are they not giving mothers their six-month South Africa declared itself a breastfeeding country eight years ago. The National Health Department says it's pushing for six months paid maternity leave, but it's a tough battle. The department wants support from unions. Leslie Bamford is from the Child and Youth Health Directorate in the Health Department. Supported by the Department of Health. Unfortunately, today we haven't had a lot of success persuading other departments who actually make these decisions. While the response is from is that many women don't breastfeed during their maternity leave anyway and, and they would like to see increased rates of breastfeeding during that period before they would consider extending uh, the period of maternity leave. We don't find that a very helpful response. UN Agency for Children, UNICEF, says South Africa is making steady progress in embracing breastfeeding compared to other countries. However, more can still be done. Dr. Alison Philly is a nutrition specialist at UNICEF. There are civil society organizations who are advocating for extended maternity leave as well, and they work with the Department of Health and UNICEF and are supported by UNICEF. In addition to the international labor organizations also doing their own advocacy. So I'm hopeful, personally, that that will change over time. According to the South African Code of Good Practice on the Protection of Employees During Pregnancy and After the Birth of a Child, which forms part of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, breastfeeding or 
or expressing mums are entitled to two 30-minute breaks a day for the first six months of their child's life. I'm Tabilem Pele for SABC News in Johannesburg. As South Africa prepares to commemorate Women's Day this Friday, the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Nontlantla Ngube Ndaba, says the dawn of democracy brought about the enactment of women's rights and a robust legislative framework. But she says the key challenge remains the implementation of these laws and policies to ensure the promotion, protection and fulfillment of women's rights. For more on this, Nontlantla spoke to the chairperson of the Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Nontlantla Ngube Ndaba. There are many things that uh, as a country we have achieved with regards to issues of gender-based violence. Because remember, in the olden days, there was no gender-based violence was not taken seriously by government, the way government is dealing with those issues now. Like, for instance, last year, the president had a gender-based violence summit, and in that summit, they made my recommendations, and the president established a gender-based violence council, which then is supposed to draft a strategy on how, as the country, can we deal with gender-based violence and femicide. Remember, South Africa is one of the highest uh, in terms of the issues of CDV and femicide worldwide, that's what I'm told. But then the president decided to take these matters seriously because even civil society organizations and other women's formation organizations were calling government that the government must do something in addressing these issues. But you can see that uh, government is trying to do a lot of things but still, it looks like the more we do, government does a lot of things, the more it's like the statistics is going up and up every day. For instance, if you look at the statement that I issued out as the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons Living with Disability regarding the DNA test kit, uh, you know, that issue was uh, dealt with by the Commission for Gender Equality last year, which they subpoenaed the general from the Department of Police and the nine provincial commissioners to come and account on why are their police stations not having DNA test kits. And recommendations were made. They committed to implement uh, uh, those recommendations. But on Monday, I read a statement issued out by the chairperson of police, uh, Ms. Tina Chumate, and I became very concerned that no way it can be correct that our women are suffering double trauma now. When a woman is raped or killed, when they go to the police stations, it's like they feel like they are not attended to or being helped by government. And that is not true, because... Government is offering all those services that when a woman is raped, when they go to the police station to bring up cases, the first thing that the police officers need to do is to avail those tests. That was the chairperson of the South African Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Nontlantlang Ngubendaba, on the line speaking to Nontlantlang Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko.
Good morning. The African Development Bank has approved a 98 million US dollars financial package for Ethiopia for a road transport corridor project to neighboring Djibouti. The project's total cost is 255 million US dollars, comprising an AFDB grant of 98 million US dollars to Ethiopia's government and an AFDB grant of 5.3 million to Djibouti's government, plus a co-financing contribution of 151 million US dollars by Ethiopia's government. The AFDB says that the project will enhance the trade by significantly reducing transport costs, thereby accelerating the economic growth of Ethiopia and its neighbor Djibouti, as it is a part of the main export-import corridor. Namibia's Finance Minister Kale Shreten wants a public-private partnership agreements that reflect market reality, ensure win-win opportunities for both parties, and avoid unnecessary disputes. Shreten said this during a breakaway session at the recently held Economic Growth Summit in the capital. As the minister said, the merging of the government and the private sector to provide services is the difficulty which arises when contracts get terminated or a change in the law occurs that might impact the original contract. Zambian President Edgar Lungu and Rwanda's Paul Kagame have launched the Sustainable Development Goals Sub-Regional Centre for Southern Africa in the capital Lusaka. The Minister of National Development Planning, Alexandra Chiteme, announced this at a media briefing in Kitwe on Wednesday. The minister said the sub-regional centre will assist the Southern African countries to start unlocking bottlenecks that hinder smooth implementation of the SDGs. European Union ambassadors to Botswana and Sadek, Jan Sadek, has vowed to double Botswana's non-mining sector exports Speaking at the official launch of the SADC trade-related facility for Botswana, the ambassador said he wants to see more products labelled, made in Botswana, not only in Europe but across the world. SADC says it is possible to double the country's non-diamond exports. He says they have a strategy, the expertise and confidence in the work of the government. A trade body representing U.S. technology firm has warned about the harmful impacts of the next round of tariffs, which Washington is due to impose on Chinese goods. The Consumer Technology Association says if an additional 10% change is levied next month as planned, U.S. importers would have to pay new fees of more than a billion dollars. It accuses U.S. President Donald Trump of conducting an unpredictable trade policy, which in effect Taxes American trade importers and consumers. Tiffany Moore is the CTA senior vice president. First several rounds of tariffs were focused a lot on manufactured goods, but this list four are consumer products and some consumer goods. And so those are items that, you know, consumers are buying every day. And so we're, we're really about to kind of feel it. Uh, particularly here in the U.S. as we, you know, start planning for the fall, the holiday season, holiday buying season. I think it's going to be a different experience for consumers. The U.S. dollar is trading at 362.5 Nigerian Nara, 10.76 Botswana Pula, 102.8 Kenyan Shilling, and 12.93 Zambian Guacha. 
In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 396 Brazilian roll, 6527 Russian ruble, 7094 Indian rupee, 74 Chinese yuan, and 1498 to the South African rand. 82 pence British pound, 89 cents euro. Gold $1,499, platinum $863 per ounce, brand crude $57.67 or rather $0.78 cents a barrel. From an African perspective, I'm Tabiso Lehoku. Our sports update up next with Figuleli Nwati. First up in our sports update, we're kicking off with football news. South Africa's national women's football team, Mayana Mayana coach Desiree Ellis says... The defending champions of the Women's Kosafa Cup need to be on top of their game when they face Zimbabwe in the semi-finals at Wolfson Stadium in Port Elizabeth, South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, this afternoon at 15.30 Central African time. Both sides finished top group A and C, respectively, with nine points. Ellis says individual talent and discipline will need to show if they are to get to the final. Now it's not about keep giving players an opportunity. Um, we know in our minds what our, what our best lineup is, um, but you always also want to look at, at other options, um, which we've done over the last uh, couple of games. We've been consistent in mostly our defence. Uh, we feel that is key. We have two top quality goalkeepers, so the defence is normally key to keep that synergy. And we've tried to keep the midfield also as solid as possible. Um, it's in other positions that we've tried different things, bearing in mind that a lot of the overseas players, players are not here. Some of the players that have played in different positions um, have done that in the past uh, for the national team, especially the, the, the not-so-new ones have done that in the past, so they know, they know and understand their roles. And then going forward, keep a settled lineup. And Tunisia's Esperance were declared winners of the African Champions League by Kef on Wednesday following a long legal battle after we at Casablanca stormed off in protest during the second leg of the final in May. According to the African football's governing body statement, Widat is considered to have lost the game. The Moroccan side walked off an hour into the return leg after a VAR malfunction meant a disallowed equalizer could not be reviewed. On to rugby news. Fit again. Hooker. Augustine Crivi returns to the Argentina team for the rugby championship final round match against South Africa in Salta on Saturday. The star, 34-year-old forward, was ruled out of the 16-10 loss to Australia last month by a shoulder injury sustained in a first-round beat and to New Zealand. His recall is one of the five changes to the Pumas team that performed poorly in Brisbane with four of them among the forwards. That is a new lock partnership with Matthias Alemano and Marcos Kramer taking over from Guido Petty and Thomas Lavanini. Springbok captain Siakolisi will start his first Curry Cup match in five years on Friday after being included in the Western Province starting lineup to face the Pumas at Newlands. And coach John Dobson has selected Golisi who last played a Curry Cup game in 2014 and is on one five changes to the province team who lost two weeks ago to the Lions. The team to play the Pumas is Dylan Leith, Sergio Peterson, Ruan Nell, Dan Creel, 
Sibylla Sonata, Josh Stander, Justin Phillips, Gambuza Notch, Ernst Van Rain, Sia Khaleesi, J.D. Schickelin, Chris Van Selva Skipper, Will Colo, Skaran Tabeni, Corner Ferry on the bench, Chad Solomon, Quenza Blow, Nitlin Fashir, Sama Marat, Dawan Klaba, Gotham Asimba, Jean Le Tupacy, Edward Fanameva. Finally, tennis news. Wimbledon champion Simona Halep survived a stand test from American qualifier Jennifer Brady with a 4-6-7-5-7-6-5 tie victory to reach their last 16 last night and keep alive her hopes of a second consecutive Rogers Cup title. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the South Africa to send humanitarian assistance to South Sudan and U.S. President to visit cities devastated by mass shootings despite objections. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine this week from us today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsu Ramagadza and Tutungobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Africa. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Salif Keta with a song titled Manju.